Um, we're heading into this passage where Jesus resets our expectations. He resets the expectations of those around him. I think it's striking, isn't it, that we are in a country where we have so much freedom that what are your plans and expectations for your future go straight to ourselves, our individualism, because we have a lot of individual freedom. Um, whereas there are lots of people across the world where their plans and their expectations for the future have a lot to do with what their governments are going to impose on them and so on. Um, rather than looking at the sheet, I'd love you to turn to page 1056. The reason being is that I have organized the passage on your sheets, sorry, on the inside of your sheets to steer you in a certain direction um, and to help you to understand it and break it down. And I think that is helpful. But on first reading, I would like you just to get your own impression from the text so that then as I steer you through it, you can either agree or disagree um, rather than just allowing me to impose my view on you. So page 1056. And before we read it, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much that the Lord Jesus uh, speaks to us, uh, not just because Luke recorded what he said, but because your Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts and in our minds now as we read it. Uh, We pray for that reality to, to happen in us such that it's almost like we're there as Jesus' first audience, but more than that, because we can look back in the light of the events that have happened, Jesus' death and his resurrection, we can know that we have a security and a confidence that goes beyond even those who were first listening. So please, work in our hearts, shape us, change us, shape our expectations and our lives so that we would live as the Lord Jesus would have us live, for his glory and our joy. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read from verse 5 of Luke chapter 21. We've um, been kind of building up to this point. Uh, Jesus has now entered uh, Jerusalem, and um, he's always been saying since chapter 9, I'm heading to Jerusalem, I'm heading to Jerusalem, I must die, I must die. And now he looks beyond what's about to happen, his trial and death and resurrection, to times beyond that, even towards the end of the world. So, uh, let's read from verse 5 as they're, they're around the temple. And some of his disciples, verse 5, were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. And it's worth saying here, probably actually I'll just, I'll just flick on. Uh, here is a scale model of the, of the temple. And um, the, one on the, left. <laughs> uh, the guy... That's the man who made it. And he spent about 30 years right down to the individual brick. Um, and the tiny little dots that you can sort of not really see are people. Um, this was uh, unofficially one of the seven wonders of the world. And um, uh, the, the, te- the whole area of the temple courts is um, four times the size of the whole area of Windsor Castle. Um, it's just absolutely massive. And the stones apparently were such brilliant white limestone that when the sun shone on the temple, people would say it looked like a mountain wall of snow. Um, and it was incredibly impressive. In fact, uh, some of the stones that were built, uh, used to build the temple um, were, let me just get this right, um, 14 meters long. Um, so just one stone uh, weighing 570 tons. And still, 
uh, archaeologists don't know how Herod the Great managed to get his people to get those stones there. They just don't know how they did it. It's an extraordinary feat of engineering that you'd think would only be possible uh, with modern-day technology. So it's incredibly, incredibly impressive building. Uh, so let's go back to verse 5 and see why the, people, the disciples, some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with dis- gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said this shocking thing. As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Teacher, they asked, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name claiming I'm he and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. That These things must happen first. But the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your minds not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. But this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads. Because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and, and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, 
When you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives and all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. Okay, there's the passage that we're looking at. Um, Do you want to shout out any particular thoughts uh, as you read that? What came to mind? What questions, confusions? Um, Does it make you feel positive, negative, freaked out, neutral? Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. That, and that is actually the big question that theologians, theologians? theologians uh, write about and uh, debate. Uh, what, which particular times is Jesus talking about? Um, any other questions? Any particular things that relate to that? Any verses that you thought, I want to know what that means? Okay, yeah, so what is that referring to? What thing are we to pray that we'll be able to avoid and be able to stand for? Yeah. Okay, well, let's dive in. Um, Now you can open up your sheets. um, And there are pens and pencils here on the table. Um, If you haven't got one and you'd like one, um, Jim is looking around now for a paw um, in case that would help you. Um, And we're going to then dig in. I'm going to read that again, um, but uh, some of it I'll read through much faster. I reckon um, that uh, these headings that I've got, so everything in capital letters is just me, uh, that I've put that in, Um, but hopefully it will help steer you through. As I worked through it, having uh, read it a few times and having listened to lots of different opinions on it and read different commentaries on it, um, I just just read it through and suddenly it just just went into place for me. Um, But I want you to be able to challenge me because I, surprisingly, am not God. Okay, uh, so uh, let's go back. This is the, the heading. Um, this is the big picture. Um, we're going to look at how you could possibly zoom in and look at tiny little details and think, how does that fit? How does that, that doesn't seem to work? And, and, and when it just fits with the immediate sentences around it, it doesn't seem to work. But a bit like an archway, if you've ever seen a, a stone archway with the bricks in place. If you look at the middle brick, you think, how on earth can that stand there? And if you look at just the bricks either side, you think, well, those aren't going to hold it up. But as you stand back and look at the whole structure, you realize, okay, that's how it fits into place. Um, so the big picture is shocking things will happen, uh, but don't be surprised. Stand firm. There we are. Um, first point, um, we get the fact, um, and the fact is that this amazing structure, Jerusalem's temple, 
will be destroyed. So have a look back with me. Uh, at the beginning of your sheets, um, there under the heading, little number five. Some of his disciples, his followers, were, were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. No surprise, it was an amazing, an amazing building that had been rebuilt by Herod the Great. Uh, started 20 years before Jesus um, was still under construction, a bit like if you've ever been to Barcelona and the Sagrada Familia. Uh, you think it's an amazing finished building, but actually it's still, still building. Um, well, it was still under construction then, but looked pretty much like this at the time. Um, uh, amazing, fantastic architecture. And it was sort of hard to imagine how it could possibly come down. Um, and, um, but Jesus says, verse 6, as for what you see here. And I found it helpful just to pause here as I was uh, listening to other speakers on this and reading Uh, Some of them paused at this point. As for what you see here. Do you see the disciples were completely influenced by what they saw? And what they saw in front of them was something that looked immovable, unbreakable, unofficially one of the seven wonders of the world, with stones bigger than this room. And they just thought, there is no way this is going anywhere. This is permanent. This is reality. And Jesus says, let me tell you what reality is. And and what is it that's right in front of you that you think is permanent and real? Financial stability, do you think that's permanent and real for you at the moment? Uh, Happy, easy family. Plans for the future. Government that's all together. And maybe our country is starting to feel a bit more on edge with Brexit and stuff like that and everyone fighting back and forth and Russians getting involved on social media and things like that. But I think we're still... There are a lot of equivalents, aren't there, as we look at the things in front of us. But Jesus says, as for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Forty years after Jesus was speaking, the place looked a lot messier than this. But this is what it looks like today. Um, That is the Dome of the Rock Mosque, uh, which was built in uh, the late 7th century, early 8th century. Um, It was a ruin for most of the 100 years after AD 70, uh, when the Romans came in and utterly destroyed it. Um, They went into the temple. They deliberately were dismantling the whole thing to show the Jews, if you mess with the Romans, then you just get wiped out, especially if you're little people like that. But it wasn't just any old country and any old temple being destroyed. This temple was, was huge and significant. Uh, we don't have an equivalent, even if, even if the Houses of Parliament and St. Paul's Cathedral and Westminster Abbey and, and loads of other tourist attractions were destroyed. I don't think it could go to the depths of uh, the temple being destroyed for the Jewish people. Uh, This was the very center of life and society. Um, God dwelt among his people. That was what the temple was. It was God's house among his people. It was a sign that this was the special chosen nation. And they were told that they would never be destroyed if they trusted in the Lord. And so they thought the closer they were to the temple, the, the more secure they would be. And so the idea that this 
would be destroyed was horrific. But Jesus is saying to them, and actually for those disciples who'd been listening carefully to, this, to him to this point, they shouldn't have been surprised. Jesus was saying that that, that temple was only a shadow, as big as it was. It was only a shadow of the reality that actually was found in Jesus himself. Jesus had said that he was God's presence on earth. He was the one who dwelt among his people. As we read later on, he says, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away, which is a a quote from uh, Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Jesus is saying, I am the the very reason that you would even have a temple. I am the temple. I am God dwelling with you. I'm the reality. This is only a shadow. And Jesus had told them he'd come to die and to give his life for them, to bring them back into a relationship with himself, which would mean there was no need for a temple. And sure enough, a few days later, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And that curtain was the bit in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where only one high priest could go once a year uh, after sacrificing a bull for his sins to enter the presence of God. And that curtain was torn in two to say that the access to God is open. And the reason it was torn in two was because Jesus had died on the cross and he had paid the penalty for our sins so that we could have access to God. And so there was no need for a temple anymore. And as soon as you take down the curtains in your house, if any of you have ever moved house and you go to the lengths of taking down the curtains, you know you're moving out. And it was only a matter of time before the temple was destroyed. Jesus warned them that. He told them that. God is leaving the building. So the question then comes back. Uh, The question comes back uh, to them there on your your sheets. Uh, When and how will we know? So let's have a look at verse 7. So the fact is that Jerusalem's temple will be destroyed. Question, teacher, they asked. When will these things happen? And you'll see I've underlined these things because it's a little phrase, it's a word in Greek that gets repeated at very key points through. You'll see there are underlinings, they'll they'll crop up. And I think that we know when Jesus is talking about the specific destruction of the temple in Jerusalem uh, around that phrase, these things. Um, But follow through and see if that works. Teach, they ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they're about to take place? So then Jesus dives into his teaching. But before answering their question directly, in fact, he does answer their question. uh, But in verse 32, you can look onto that. Do you see I've put it in bold on your sheets on the top right-hand side? Uh, Verse 32. It takes right up until verse 32 for Jesus to answer their question directly. He says, Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So the question of when is the temple going to be destroyed and Jerusalem we discover with it Um, Jesus says it will be within that generation and sure enough Jesus is absolutely right Um, uh, the temple was destroyed in AD 70 so within 40 years of him speaking uh, many of those would have been still alive um, within their generation Um, and it's interesting it's worth worth saying that um, because Jesus' predictions that we're about to read about and, and about uh, the temple being destroyed are so accurate, uh, 
Um, one of the ways that the majority of secular historians go back and date Luke's gospel is by saying, well, we don't believe in miracles. Uh, Jesus couldn't possibly know the future. And therefore, this must be, we must date this gospel after AD 70. Even though the overwhelming evidence for the dating of Luke's gospel is in the early 60s. Um, and I can tell you just one little detail of that. If you want to ask me more on that question, uh, you can come to me uh, after this. But basically, Luke, we know, wrote Acts because of the way they're uh, structured and the people he's written to. Everyone agrees that Luke wrote the book of Acts. And the book of Acts ends well before the fall of Jerusalem. And yet that would have been a very, very interesting event for Luke as a historian writing the book of Acts. It would have made no sense for him to stop before then. But even before that... Acts ends before the death of Paul, who is the very guy that the story ends with. The story ends with Paul going to Rome. It doesn't end with Paul dead. And so if Luke was writing after the death of Paul, he would have included Paul's death. He would have just added a footnote even. Paul went to Jerusalem where he was imprisoned, tried and executed for following Jesus. It's not in there. So it was written, it's almost certain, I just can't see any decent way of arguing that it wasn't written before that, unless you just go with the thing of there's no such thing as knowing the future, there's no such thing as miracles, therefore it must have been uh, dated later. There's a little bit of interesting history. Um, so, uh, where are we? Uh, Jesus' teaching begins. Uh, don't be misled. Okay, I'm going to go through a little bit faster now. Uh, Jesus replied... Watch out, you're not deceived. So before I answer your question, Jesus is saying, before I answer your question of when and uh, how will we know, just listen to me, don't be deceived, because there are going to be many fakes. There are going to be many fakes. Um, don't be misled by fakes. For many will come in my name, verse 8, claiming I am he and the time is near. Do not follow them. And um, at the time of Jesus, there were lots of people who claimed to be the Messiah, the chosen one. Um, and a lot of historians have looked back and said, oh, look, Jesus was just the lucky one who got away with it. The fact is there is no evidence of clear uh, miraculous uh, powers or teaching on the scale of what Jesus gave. Um, and so they can't be compared, but they do fulfill Jesus's prophecy uh, for many people coming and claiming uh, similar things. And there are many fakes since then. Um, one of whom is the very reason for the Dome on the Rock, uh, Muhammad himself, saying that he was uh, the prophet who came after Jesus, even though Jesus said he was the fulfillment. Um, and then the Ahmadiyya Muslims, um, they follow someone called Ahmed, Ahmadiyya, um, who was in India, and they say he's actually the Messiah returns at the second coming. Um, and uh, so there's lots of fakes. Uh, there's been, uh, there was David Icke, who was the Coventry City footballer um, in uh, uh, goalkeeper in the 90s who claimed that he was the son of God. Um, all kinds of people have made ridiculous claims. Um, don't be deceived. Uh, don't believe a word of their nonsense. I don't think we're in danger of that. Um, but things we might be shaken by or misled by is wars. Uh, verse 9, uh, don't be misled by wars. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. And then thirdly, I've put in uh, what I'm defining this, is, uh, this as, but you can check it, fall of Jerusalem. These things must happen first. Well, he's talking about the fall of the, the temple. Um, so it seems to, to make sense. Don't be misled by fakes, by wars, by the fall of Jerusalem. These things must happen first. But then, uh, sorry, but the end will not come right away. So there's the, the separation. So Ed's question of what's coming when, uh, what, what's Jesus talking about, what time? He seems to be talking about two events. 
And sometimes he parallels them. We'll see how he does that. Um, But uh, he's talking about the event of the fall of Jerusalem. And then he's talking about the end. And he's saying there's going to be a gap. Um, And we know there's already been 2,000 years and there could be a lot longer. He says the end will not come right away. Okay. Now we start to get into a bit which we could start to think, okay, now he's talking about right at the end. Um, But I found it helpful to head this in the build-up to the end of time, scary stuff will be normal. So verse 10, Jesus said to them, a nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Um, signs from heaven could just be um, disasters from the sky. Um, so, so Jesus is saying you should expect that things aren't always going to get better all the time. Um, the Roman Empire enjoyed a time of peace for about 400 years and then got completely wiped out. And then we had the Dark Ages for a 1,000 years. We're not allowed to call them the Dark Ages anymore, uh, the Middle Ages, but it was a pretty bad time. And, um, and then progress has been made. And people assume that progress will go on and on and on and on. But actually we're told, and it's true, that nation rises against nation and kingdom against kingdom. I, I looked up all the wars and um, disasters that have happened since the Second World War and, and there's more than one for every letter of the alphabet. Um, so we in Europe and in the West are in an extraordinary time of peace. But actually the norm across the world is that this stuff carries on and on and on. But Jesus says, so in the build-up to the end of time, scary stuff will be normal. But before the general unrest, there'll be specific unrest you need to know about. Okay, and now here, this is stuff that I think will will carry on after, but is actually very specific, and you can read about almost all of it in the book of Acts. So Jesus says, verse 12, but before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you will be brought before kings and governors, all on account of my name, and so you will bear testimony to me. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. So, so all this stuff was happening. The apostles, you see it straight away in Acts uh, 3, 4, 5 and so on. They're, they're brought before synagogues. They're brought before rulers. It carries on and on. They get tested. They get tried. They get put in prison. And yet they're rejoicing because their expectations have been fulfilled, as Jesus promised. This is going to happen as you take the gospel out there, as you bear witness to me. And the Holy Spirit empowers them to be his witnesses. Um, and so, verse 16, the reality happens. Jesus warned them about this already. You will be betrayed by parents and brothers and sisters and relatives and friends. And they will put some of you to death. That happened then. That, that still happens today. And we've been praying about it for some of um, our church members who are facing this fear for turning away from Islam and um, uh, towards Jesus. And, um, uh, and we know that in countries where there's Islamic control or places like um, North Korea, um, you are going to be put to death, even by your own family, um, if you trust in Jesus. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, I don't know if that one struck you as we read it through. Doesn't that sound a bit confusing? Uh, You will be put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. 
But don't worry, when you die, you'll have a really great hairdo. <laughs> um, don't worry, it, it'll, it'll look fine. Just don't worry about your perm. You might be in a coffin. Is that what Jesus is saying? No, obviously not. Because of the very next verse, stand firm and you will win life, literally your eternal soul. And so Jesus is saying, even if you die, even if you're persecuted and beaten and tortured, there will be no eternal harm. There will be no eternal scars. The only one who bears eternal scars is the Lord Jesus himself, who bears the scars of having died for us to rescue us. And so there'll be no PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome disorder. Um, and so in, in Luke chapter 12, we've already seen this. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, he's already said, don't fear those who kill the body. That's all they can do. The worst they can do to you, the worst they can do to you is kill you. And, and you see the testimony of some of the early martyrs in the church. Um, that was exactly what they said. You, you can't do anything to me. Because the worst you could do to me is kill me, and then I'd be straight with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Luke says, do not, uh, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body. Instead, fear him who can throw both body and soul into literally Gehenna, uh, the rubbish dump of history. If you, if you end up being disconnected from God himself, the very source of life, then you'll end up in the spiritual equivalent of Gehenna. Gehenna was the rubbish dump outside Jerusalem where, where um, everything was continually rotting and burning. And Jesus is saying, if you cut yourself on, off from the source of life, all you're going to do is, is die for hem- forever. And so why would you fear those who, who can kill your, phys- your, your lives now and you'd be safe for all eternity? Instead, fear in a good way. The one who's in control of everything and is, is your source of life. And then you don't need to be scared of anything or anyone else. Verse 19, stand firm and you will win life, eternal life. So we're in this section called, but before the general unrest, there'll be specific unrest you need to know about. And then we get really specific in verse 20, the fall of Jerusalem. They're on your sheets. The fall of Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and those in the country not enter the city. Now, this is really interesting instructions because the normal instinct, if you're in a city with massive thick walls like Jerusalem, then you're going to go into the city. That's what happened. The the farmers in the countryside all lived in their little villages. And then when there was a threat of war and you heard the armies coming towards, you would flee into the citadel, into the thick city walls, and there you'd be safe to withstand a siege. And uh, Jerusalem had water coming into it and, and looked like it was a good place to hang out. But Jesus specifically says, get out and flee to the mountains. And a later historian writing in the third century, Eusebius, tells us that Christians fled to an area called Pella, and so hardly were any were killed. The testimony is that, that very few Christians who lived in Jerusalem at that time actually suffered as the Romans came in in AD 70 or, or 67 to siege around, and then AD 70 when Jerusalem finally fell, because they left following Jesus' instructions. But for the Jews who were left, it was more horrific than Syria and 
Myanmar for the um, Rohingya Muslims put together. It was awful and dreadful. And when Jesus says this next bit, he's, he's not saying it um, with a sense of uh, smug judgment. He's already wept over Jerusalem and pleaded with them to trust in him. And this is what's going to happen uh, to the Jews who don't trust in him, who don't listen to him. Verse 22, for this is the time of punishment in fulfillment of all that has been written. There's plenty in the Old Testament pointing forward to this. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. There's no sweet sense of revenge here in what Jesus says. And Jesus warns us, like if you were here a few weeks ago and Jim was preaching on the parable of the tenants, this is kind of the fulfillment of that warning. Jerusalem was supposed to be like the vineyard of God, trusting him and and dwelling in his presence and delighting in him, but it said they'd mistreated it and killed his prophets and ultimately his son. And so this was what they'd asked for, effectively. But it's not just a warning for the Jews, but for everyone, because the next section, there at the bottom of first page the fall of jerusalem is a foretaste of the end of time when verse 25 there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea people will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies or that could be the planets and the stars or even the satanic powers that could be translated all three ways will be shaken At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. So here we see Jesus move from the destruction of the temple into a foretaste of the end of time. So just as the temple and the city walls of Jerusalem were shaken, so the whole of nature will be shaken and then the Son of Man. That's the title that Jesus uses for himself, which is given to him in in Daniel chapter 7, as the great eternal king, the God-man who will come in unmistakable power and glory to, to rescue those who've trusted in him and to bring in the new creation. And, and people have tried to work out the details of that, uh, of verses 25 to 27. Um, and they're trying to work out what, what is that referring to. But that is not the point. Jesus is deliberately vague. We are not supposed to know exactly when he's coming back. Jesus said himself elsewhere um, that he'll come like a thief in the night. He said that, that no one will know the time, not even the Son of Man as to his human nature, not even Jesus himself will know. He doesn't know the hour, let alone the day. And, and we're told that in God's eyes, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. If you ever hear a prediction, you hear them all the time, don't you? Coming up on the news, oh, it's going to be the end of the world coming up soon. Um, it's, always, it's always very short, isn't it? It's always within the next five, ten years or so, um, often closer. No one says, oh, well, in a thousand years' time, because that's not of news interest. So what do you think they're trying to do, get a bit of attention for themselves? Uh, Jesus says, in God's mind, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So it's, Jesus has been away for the weekend. How do we know there's a connection between the two? 
how do we know? So going back to Ed's question of what, what's coming when? When is the fall of Jerusalem being talked about? And when's the end of time? How do we know there's a connection between the two? Well, have a look at the next two verses. Verse 28. So when these things, and I think that, that phrase, that word, these things, is very specific. It's the, these things that they asked about in verse 7. When will these things happen? When will the temple be destroyed? So when these things begin to take place, Stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And then to make it really clear that he's talking one gets as excited about the next. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all, its, all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So just as Jesus was right about the fall of Jerusalem, so he's going to be right about his final return. If we can look back and see how clearly Jesus predicted that the temple and Jerusalem would be destroyed, well, we can be sure, just as we can look back at his death and resurrection, which he predicted, that his return is sure. And now we are in this stage which... Christians refer to as the last days. There's nothing else to happen other than the return of Jesus. And so we will be in a period of all kinds of disasters and wars and, uh, and, and troubles and persecution and so on. But just as the one thing happened, and it absolutely, it, it's a picture. The destruction of Jerusalem uh, is a picture of the destruction of the whole world and the bringing in of the new creation. So Jesus says, verse 32, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. So he wants them to know that something's going to happen in their lifetime and they need to do something very specific about it. But don't think that all that we've just read about that is irrelevant to you because it happened nearly 2,000 years ago. Instead, it's hugely relevant to you because it points forward to the final end and the ultimate destruction. So, summary, application. Verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will never pass away. Now, that is this massive, massive claim. That, as we've seen already, that's from, that's from Isaiah chapter 40. God's words will never pass away. Isaiah didn't say himself. Isaiah, the great, great prophet didn't say that. He didn't say heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will pass away. Instead, he says the word of the Lord endures forever. He never pointed to himself. No prophet in history has pointed to themselves, anyone who's been taken seriously, and said, I am the one whose word endures forever. Instead, they've pointed to God and said, God's word endures forever. That's what Muhammad pointed to. But Jesus points to himself. He claims that authority for himself. And then he says, verse 34, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, that is uh, messing around with all kinds of stuff, sexual deviance or whatever it might be, chilling out, just just being lazy, um, drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. So Jesus is warning against two extremes. Either we're, we're overwhelmed by worry and that turns us away from Jesus or we're overwhelmed by ease and just getting on with life and living life as if it revolves around us rather than around him. 
Verse 35, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. And this is uh, deliberately ambiguous. That word earth could be translated the whole earth or the whole land. Um, And so I think Jesus is is allowing us to, his listeners, to think, okay, I need to be ready for AD 70 or I need to be ready for the end. Verse 36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Do you see those two things he summarizes for us? What's about to happen in AD 70, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And so the point is to us, whether we were Jesus' first listeners waiting for AD 70 to happen, or whether we're waiting for him to return any moment, we should be on a permanent state of alert. Not so much expecting Jesus at any time, although he could come at any time, but staying close to Jesus all the time. Let me say that again. It's not so much about expecting that Jesus could arrive at any time, which he could. But the way we're to to be ready for that is to stay close to Jesus all the time. And how do we stay close to him? We stay close to him. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Stay close to Jesus by his words. And so the very simple application of almost every talk, but it's right, is come back to the word of the Lord. Listen to him. Let him shape your perspective because what you see in front of you, your life circumstances or the temple that looks like it could never be destroyed, what you see in front of you will one day be destroyed. Your life is not all that it is. That's some good noises going on downstairs. (laughs) They're nervous about the end (laughs) Um, of the service. Um, So what's in front of you isn't everything there is. Let Jesus and his word shape your mindset. I was chatting to to Matt Watt a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I have just put off and put off and put off spending time with Jesus each morning in his word. And I've been deeply convicted by it. Well, Matt's one of my heroes. He's a great evangelist. (laughs) You know Matt, he's just a wonderful, keen Christian guy. If he can feel that he's distancing from Jesus' word, then you can too. But hear that heart to want to come close. And stay close to Jesus by his words, and he will prepare you. And so finally, I'm just going to rattle through these last points on your sheet and then head back to Ed. What are your expectations for the future? Firstly, be ready. If you've been asleep until now, you can fill in these last gaps and feel like you've done something. Um, Firstly, be ready. Uh, Like the destruction of Jerusalem, be ready for the destruction of the world at the return of Jesus. Be ready. Then secondly, don't be misled. Don't be misled by fakes or scary events or dodgy predictions. Stay close to the word of Jesus. Don't be surprised. Thirdly, don't be surprised by all kinds of hardship. Expect persecution. It's going to be hard. And the stability that you might have at the moment might not always be there. But don't be surprised. You could be shocked. But don't be surprised. You know that? Ah! I shocked you. But you shouldn't be surprised because you know that I can make silly noises. I think you shocked them in the room. Well, hopefully they heard the explanation. (laughs) You can be shocked, but don't be surprised. And stay close to Jesus. Stay alert and stand firm by staying close to Jesus. Shall we pray?
Our Father, thank you for these clear words of the Lord Jesus. Please would you allow them to sink deep into our hearts. And as we come now to sing uh, some of these truths, uh, please would we be speaking those truths into each other's lives in our songs. Please help this reality to sink deep. Please help us not to dismiss it as some interesting history or not so interesting history from 2,000 years ago but something hugely relevant to us because one day the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, the one who has proved himself to be the eternal Son of God, whose word will never pass away, will return, and we long to be ready. And as well as that, we long to be witnesses. Please, by your Holy Spirit, equip us like you equipped those first apostles to speak your words at every opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.